Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 255 of Dogcast Radio, which lives online at dogcastradio.com. Today we're having a laugh with an underdog, and later we'll be exploring an app which seeks to match people with dogs for the right criteria. Dogs are not accessories. They're not handbags. They're not the newest pair of sneakers. They're a commitment for 12 to 15 years. Now, hands up, who needs a laugh? Whoa, the draft of all those hands being raised nearly knocked me over. As well as being a comedian, Dave Chawner loves dogs. So we got on well. He's taking his underdog show to the Edinburgh Fringe 2022. The story's got a couple of threads to it. One is I actually never really used to like dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was never a dog fan, but then I, I met my partner and she thinks that dogs are better than humans. And the <laughs> whole show kind of chronicles uh, how I've sort of changed uh, about how I love dogs and, and why I did. And it kind of goes through about our experiences on Borrow My Doggy. I don't oh, know, yes. have you ever used that? I haven't, but for anybody that doesn't know... That's somewhere that benefits both the dog less and yeah. the, the owner who be, wants their dog looked after, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the easiest way to like borrow my dog is basically Tinder for dogs. <laughs> and it, it matches up people who have dogs and people that love dogs. And you know what? Like, it, it, it's sort of, it's really interesting. It's like being an adult it's really hard to meet new people, yes. you know, like when you're at school, unless they're in the office or whatever, and obviously being self-employed, uh, my office party is pretty boring, <laughs> you know, it's just me with a sad hat on and a massive cake. Um, but it's kind of like, it's really hard to meet people. And actually dogs are just a brilliant way of meeting yes. other people. Cause there's so many like conversations already baked in with that of like, oh, what's his name? How old is he? What breed is he? Um, and it just kind of goes through all of that. But then on a sort of lower level, it's about as well after the pandemic, uh, how many people I, I just love how the past couple of years have been so rubbish for so many people but I think that we've actually started to appreciate the the underdog things that people would normally look down on like shelf stackers or posters or bus drivers or mm-hmm. cleaners they used to be jobs that people go oh you don't want to be a cleaner do you but then all of a sudden the, the same media that would look down on those jobs turned around and said oh these are our knights in PPA armor and I think uh I sort of I feel very much like that you know I've been doing comedy now like 13 years and nobody knows who I am uh, so I, I got, and I love that I think that dogs you know give so much and expect so little in return and that's the kind of concept of the show is looking at that giving so much and expecting so little so and, and also just an excuse to meet dogs yeah yeah it's, it's a it's a good thing to do meet more dogs I, I need very little excuse to but I imagine when you because when comedy goes well it's brilliant isn't it and you come back on a real high <laughs> yeah. um there's nothing like it but when it goes badly um <laughs> you learn a lot but when it goes badly oh my goodness to come home to your dog must be wonderful must it balm for the soul See, that, now that's a beautiful thing. And I want to just say yes and then move on. But I don't even have a dog. Right. So that's the kind of like, that's the weird thing. We looked at getting a dog, really long story there. And it was like about our story about trying to get a dog as, as well. But you're you're absolutely right. That's one of the things that I love 
about dogs is like a dog will never ask you to lose more weight earn more <laughs> money or you know they just come home and like you've only been out like four hours but it's like they're meeting you for the first time all over again and like oh, i love you i love you i love you <laughs> yes. um, so i i absolutely agree and i think there is a gap in the market for the in the same way that like people can become like connoisseurs of wine i think there should be like a sort of not a like a not a dog tasting event but you know like for people who are less familiar with dogs there should be some sort of app or something out there to match up what sort of dog breed yours is you know because i think there's a difference between what dog breed you like and what dog breed suits you yes yeah absolutely do you know you you have hit on a fundamental thing there that i bang on about like for example i love short-haired sporty dogs I love really? Yeah, yeah. I, I had a Labrador and I love English pointers oh. and they're short haired, like really sporty dogs. But, you know, I would be an awful owner of a pointer because, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go out and jog. I'm not going to give them the exercise I know they need. So that's really important that what the dogs that we like the look of often aren't the dogs that would fit with us. And sometimes the other thing that my another hobby horse of mine is often older people or you know less active people but older people I'm going to pick on you I'm one of them I'm going to pick on them (laughs) um but they look at a a small dog like a Jack Russell or a Dachshund you know to pick on a a couple of breeds there it's a small dog that will suit me these are feisty dogs with lots of energy and they'd be much better off with a greyhound you know so definitely I think there's there's let's bring that out Dave let's develop that I couldn't agree more because we we tried getting a sausage dog and that was the whole thing about it. If like, you're absolutely right. And actually real pack dogs as well. Like they might be small, but they need other dogs around. And that was like our downfall. So here's a question to you. If you were a dog, what breed do you think you would be? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I think actually I would definitely be... I, I I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but I'd be a sharper dog, like some. I'm thinking German nice. Shepherds, except they're too too organised. I'm quite dis- <laughs> disorganised. I I might be. See, I might be a longer a longer haired German pointer. I've got long hair, that's why I'm saying long haired. So right. I'd, I'd be a longer haired like that. But a German pointer that is the, one of the sh- the sharper end. I don't mean sharp as a derogatory thing there at all. I just yeah. mean I'm a bit little bit distrustful of strangers. So. I would. Are you? Oh, yeah. You don't seem seem at all. (laughs) I think you would be one of those dogs that kind of like is instantly up to sniff people, but like. You know, you know, the sorts of dogs that like will always go up. But then if you do one thing wrong, like make a just a slightly too quick movement, then they're, they're, that's what makes them nervous. Because you yeah. seem very bouncy. You seem like the sort of person I want to give you a treat. So oh, that's, bless you. Know. you. <laughs> I've taken to you. So we've got dogs in common. My people I love. But mm. strangers, I'm just like, it's not I don't like them. I just, as you say, I distrust them in that. What are you going to do? Are you nice or not? You're going to have to yeah. tr- prove yourself kind of thing. So that, that's <laughs> who I, you know. And it's interesting. What, what do you think, what breed do you think you would be? Oh, I know that, I, right. So firstly, I wouldn't be a breed. I'd be a mongrel. Like I'd be <laughs> one of those ones that like nobody really knows. And like, I don't know what I am. And I think I would be a dog that thinks I'm a cat. Oh. Like I, I aspire, like I would be one of those ones that's like in a pub that is is possibly like used to be white but it's like dirty gray and like has <laughs> has jam on its ears all the time and stuff like that and spends 20 hours a day sleeping because i mean to be honest my point on that would kind of be with, with like dogs and cats and stuff people say oh they spend so much time sleeping it's like well 
if you could, who wouldn't? Absolutely. You know I mean? so, yeah, I think I would be a sort of small, because I'm quite short and terribly, like, I'm five seven, so I'm not like, you know, I'm not like, I think it benefits for it, but it's also <laughs> like I've got that chip on my shoulder of, like, being a short bloke. So I think, yeah, probably like a mongrel kind of Jack Russell-y kind of, like, guy that always just sits in the pub, like, chewing his own paws. <laughs> But you don't mind the chip on your shoulder because it gives the added illusion of height. Yeah. <laughs> Pile those chips yeah. up. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Oh, that's, I think that sounds nice. Yeah, it's, it's, I like that to imagine what you'd be as a as a a dog. But sometimes what the people see you as, you're like, no, no, you could be quite yeah. offended. Like, no, no, I'm not that. I don't know. I think when I was younger, I, I was aspired to be um, a golden cocker spaniel because I thought they were so lovely and glamorous, oh. you know. <laughs> See, we look after so we look after these two beautiful idiots called Alfie and Pippi. Hmm. And Alfie is like the scruffly one that I know he's my boy. I just love him so much. <laughs> Whereas Pippi is like she she's a cockapoo, but she um she's like piglet. Like she's too much energy. It's like nervous energy. And I just wanna <laughs> and we there's nothing that we could do to like uh, sort of wear her out. That's what gets me about Spaniels. Like, if even if we, like, attached a tennis ball to an LNER train and just let her go from, like, <laughs> London to Glasgow, she'd still get there and go, like, right, let's go again. You know, yes, I just don't... <laughs> I don't understand how dogs like that have so much energy. Yeah, yeah. Spaniels are apparently... I've not lived with a Spaniel, but Spaniels are apparently, like, just go, go, go. Um, but you see, um, I mean... One of the things that you can do is work the brain because, again, Spaniels, yeah. you know, the, the gun dogs were bred, bred to think as well as, um, well, many dogs were bred to, to think as well as um, do physical work. And and so to, to get them, nose work can be brilliant, scent work, get them to sniff things out. And if you can do that, you can actually wear them out much more effectively than like, as you say, chasing the, the tennis ball on the back of the train. Well, that's why that's why I was feel really bad, like taking dogs for a walk. Because obviously, their sense of smell is so much more potent than ours. And like, I always do think because I sometimes get, you know, like if you've got stuff, or you've got a meeting, or you've got a crack on, and you want to just like, you know, carry on in every. You can't stop for every hole in the hedge for them to just, you know, <laughs> sniff everything. But I do think, like, for them, that must be the equivalent of someone taking you to like the National Gallery and going, right, let's get off on this bog- <laughs> golf buggy, right. <laughs> Monet, Rembrandt, there's a, right, go, 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 you know, I, I would, I don't know if it would be a blessing or a curse to have such a potent sense of, of smell. Yes, yeah, My, our dogs lack the ick factor. They, they, yes. Yes, they never go, that's too disgusting to sniff, to shove my nose into. <laughs> well, apparently, this is like, and, and again, if ever you start a sentence with the word apparently, you know, this is his 24 <laughs> carat ball. But um, apparently I heard that apparently babies don't have the ick factor either. That's something that's like socially learned. So oh. babies will eat like horrible things and it's socially conditioned into them to be like, no, that's bad, that will poison you but i don't know why my dogs don't have the same thing either like loving eating grass and then every time it makes them slightly you know throw yeah, up you know yeah. you're an intelligent thing why have you not learned that by now <laughs> <laughs> i know but then you see when you think about it like for example 
Our, our dogs love putting their heads, their nose, in like shoes you've just taken off or socks, dirty oh. socks you've worn for the day. And you think that must be horrible. But to them, it's just, oh. it's deeply imbued with our sense, which is precious yeah. to them. And that's why they love it. So I guess if you try and see it from their, their point of view. But yes, I, I, I do wonder if it would be a blessing or a curse, to be honest. But I, I also think it would be a hell of a lot qu- uh, cheaper for birthdays, wouldn't it? You know, like instead of buying Coco <laughs> Mademoiselle or like Chanel number no. five, here's an old sock, wipe it around your face before you go to work. It'd be great, you know? <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes, it would, there, there would be advantages. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, so, I mean, so you, you wanted um, a... a Dachshund and I love Dachshunds I, I do I can see the appeal do you think you'd ever get a dog in the future and if so what dog would you get oh we would love to I mean we, we tried to get a dog and it didn't work out and that's again part of the progression of the show so I think we we kind of feel um sort of really burnt by that and I think it's a very common experience that you know mm-hmm. other people have etc um I I think sort of 10 years down the line I think it's certainly uh when rather than if but I think yeah much much further down the line and I love I absolutely love sausage dogs uh and with through borrowing my dog we looked after this long-haired sausage dog um and and this is this is another interesting thing of like rocket long-haired sausage dog was the best boy in the world it was so sweet and i loved him so much but i think the problem is sometimes you actually don't necessarily like perhaps the breed you're associating yourself with with that that one dog and Although I still like sausage dogs, I don't think we would ever get them again because they are an amazing and incredible uh, breed. But I think we would probably um, probably get a rescue. And you, you know what? This is a little, um, this is quite controversial. It's taken me a while to realise that I actually prefer dogs to puppies. Like mm, puppies, yeah. puppies are very, puppies are very cute. But I want a dog that's quite chill and quite just always by your side always that did you ever read right this is a real this is a relevant digression did you ever read um northern lights was also called golden compass it was that yes yeah you know in in that they had like everyone had their own little uh demons yeah and that that's what i see a dog as just something that is always by your side we'll go to the post office with you go to the pub with you sit and watch bad telly with you that's what i want in in a dog you know i don't i don't want one that's like oh is it because i think that, that you know puppies are, are lovely and they're very cute but i just think that constant steady yeah poor on the shoulder that's what i want in a dog yeah. yeah no i know what you mean the i always used to think like with with buddy i had a black labrador and you you get through the puppy days which are blooming hard work yes. really hard and then the dog that you get is what you want. That's really the, the gift yeah. of all that hard work, you know, definitely. But I, it's funny, interesting you say about being burned by the experience of trying to get a dog. And I can remember actually sitting crying. And we weren't doing dog casting in those days. This is a long time ago. And we were just trying to think what breed we would like. And we were thinking about Leon Burgers, love Leon Burgers. But the the one of the breeders, which is brilliant, it's what breeders should do. One of the breeders was saying to me, look, these dogs... Apologies to any Leon Berger fans who are going to disagree with me. Get in touch if you do disagree. But he said, look, these dogs will get to sort of um, adolescence and they will be a real handful. You need to know what you're doing. And so 
we went for a Labrador, which was, he was a brilliant first dog. But I can remember sitting crying, thinking, why is it so hard? I think it's hard if yeah. you're, trying, you're trying to get it right. But it is blooming hard and it does break your heart at times, doesn't it? I think that's something that we really overlooked when getting a dog. We did so much research. We watched so many videos. We talked to so many owners. And I think something that's really important to remember is like, yes, there are those traits and stuff. But the one thing that you can never account for is that different dogs have different personalities. Yeah, yeah. And and I completely agree that like those breeds are a, a brilliant benchmark um but you know even within that there can be such a diversity even based on which one is the runt of the litter how big was the litter and all of those tiny little things i i completely agree it is so hard and i would yeah it, it is that thing of i would love to have a dog again but i don't think that we ever would because i see me it's interesting because i suppose it's like gender role reversals i love tiny dogs like possibly not like chihuahua tiny but small and medium dogs whereas my partner she grew up with a rottweiler so she loves rotties she loves um huskies she loves big dogs and like dobermans whereas that's that's not really more of my bag so like trying to find one in the middle really difficult yeah yeah isn't it interesting i i think sometimes being a woman can be difficult for a variety Mm. of reasons but when you suddenly have a big dog walking at your side you have the freedom that maybe is a more male preserve, maybe. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for so much of this, but maybe. So, (laughs) again, you all know the the email, get in touch, complain. But I think sometimes having a big dog walking by your side is empowering and you just think, I've got this mate that wants to go everywhere with me. It's not like I'm having to say to a person, come with me and look after me. But with the dog by your side, you sometimes have that power and freedom given to you that you don't normally have, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Uh, and, and actually that, you know, actually that, that's a, an incredibly pressing point. And maybe that should be looked at more of, you know, getting you know, for people's protection and mm. stuff, etc. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I completely agree. Because I'm like patron of a wonderful charity in the Midlands called RAD, which stands for Recovery Assistance Dogs. Mm. Um, and, and it is that reassurance, that, you know, everything. Yeah. So. The, the, the charity helps sort of train people with uh, dogs and gives training packages, you know, everything from, you know, hearing loss all the way through to things like autism and terminal diseases. And it is that, you know, it, it's so helpful on so many double levels of, mm. yeah, absolutely that comfort all the way through to yeah. the security and the help. Yeah. Oh, that sounds an amazing charity because... As you say, dogs just reach you wherever you are. And even one of the things I love about dogs is if you can't think of words, you know, if you have a block on a word, if you have a migraine, yeah. that dog, whatever, it doesn't matter. The dog still yeah. loves you, still there for you. And they just reach us on such a fundamental level, don't they? I, it, I think it's like people always saying that, like, you know, it's amazing that humans evolve language. And I kind of think it's, it's almost the opposite now of like, I think it's amazing when some people just don't talk. Because that, that's like when a dog that, you know, a dog doesn't uh, come to you with solutions and problems, you can yeah. just literally talk at it. And I think that's one of the most <laughs> cathartic things in the, in the world. Yes. Yeah. And they won't go and tell anybody else what you've said. 
<laughs> well, you say that. I never know. I mean, especially Alfie and Pippi that we walk. There's, they've definitely got some sort of cohorts with the cats. Um, and when I said that I couldn't eat fish, Alfie did give me a weird look, and the cats have never looked at the same ever again. So I'm, I'm jury's out on that one for me. <laughs> Well, yes, yeah. They they may commun- communicate to other animals, yeah, but they're not going to yes. go and tell tell your uh, your partner, are they? So. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh dear. Well, I do. I hope you get your, a dog of your own um, one I'd day. Yeah, yeah. So, it, so tell me about a bit more about the show. So the the actual show. So I've been. I mean, I've been writing it for ages uh, now, and it's been loads of different threads all like kind of coming um together so one of the stories is like yeah about uh borrow my doggy adventures and then trying to get a dog of our own and that um that not necessarily working out and it you know sort of ripping us to shreds like it was really really sad but it's it's kind of ended nicely because you know the dog um uh, I don't want to give away too much, mm-hmm, but obviously, mm-hmm. you know, the, the dog that we got is incredibly, we, we still see her and she's very happy. She's very healthy. And that's all that we ever wanted. It's just a shame that it's, you know, not with us. And I think um, while I was writing that, especially after the pandemic, like doing comedy, there was so much insecurity and mm-hmm. so much status angst of like, you know, you do, uh so i i do a club in the west end and they um they uh do the the producers come in there to sort of uh essentially live audition people for like live at the apollo and then when people do live at the apollo it's like oh have you done mock the week and then people do mock the week it's like have you done taskmaster and i think one of the things that's interesting about the coming out of the pandemic is the status angst that everyone has you know you can work remotely you can work from home now so there's that thing of people no matter what job you are it's, it's harder than ever to know if you're doing a good job and mm. what you're, and and I think that's why I really love the term underdog because I think dogs themselves might have status angst in terms of like who can we hire on the wall <laughs> but they don't go around going like, you know, well, I've got a bigger collar than you, you know? And, yeah. and I think that's why I love the term so much. It's like me kind of coming to terms and making peace with that. I'm not the best comic in the world, but just because you're not the best doesn't mean that you're the worst. And I think it's amazing how dogs do that. They just live to their full potential without any comparison to, or, or, or maybe I am wrong. But I, as, as as far as I found, dogs don't tend to compare themselves so much to other dogs. This is true. This is true. It's interesting you say that actually because I absolutely agree. Dogs live very much in the moment, and even if they're not the one that can weed the highest in their street, they just live with that. That's okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. that. But I mean, I think very much with with comedy that. I guess, or any performance, but I, I mean, you and I have talked a little bit about this today and I think I've, I think I've made this public before, but if not, I, I did some comedy. I started off in a, um, a, a local, uh, festival and did some comedy there. So I have a little bit of not, nothing like Dave's, but a little bit of experience, of experience. So, and I would look at a couple of the other comedians and think, oh, I wish I could do what you do because they'd either strut around a lot or be very, um, <laughs> intellectual in their comedy and, and that wasn't where where I was and I would look at them and think oh that's so good I want to do that I want to do that and again as a woman there are things 
Well, I felt anyway, there were things that I could say and not say that, or I was comfortable saying and not saying. And, you know, and, and so there was that as well. And it just really struck me the one day that all I can do is, you know, I can't be Dave or I can't be Rob. Okay. I can be me and I can just be the best me that I can be. And then people can take that or leave that. And I think that's, that's maybe a lesson that comedy and dogs teach you. Just be the best you you can be. I, I couldn't agree more. And people like the wonderful Rod Kemp to just pick a, a, a name completely at random. I think that's one of the things that's so amazing about them is that they are just... That was one of the things that got me about comedy is they're so true to who they are. Kind of like, you know, when yes. you get a stick of rock at the beach and if you like cut it halfway, it's still got like the name of where you bought it from. Like no matter where you go down the tube, it's always got that. And I think comedy is... Uh, so good and so amazing for for that and i think yeah there's a there's a real parallel there with with dogs um and i think like trying to do that piece because like you know yeah i i get i think we all get insecure but i think certain jobs perhaps maybe um sort of pull the focus a little bit more than others because the thing with comedy is it's not like an office job of where you can be you know you can start being an executive then manager then middle manager then director like you know it's very uh odd like that and i think especially the way that we're going with like the gig economy is very similar as well and speaking one of the things that really gets me as well is that speaking to other people it's amazing how as soon as you kind of acknowledge that thing how many people are going yeah i i I get that and (laughs) i find that fascinating (laughs) yeah but it it takes some nerve to do it the first time doesn't it and sort of say do you do this you know to to put something in your act you know and and think are are the people getting is this going to resonate with them or are they just going to look at look at me like i'm a weirdo That's what I like. I love. I think some of the some of the most amazing, like you know, just little observations that you're like. There's a brilliant act called Andrew O'Neill who, and, and I just love those little. Yeah, because it does take confidence. Mm. But I, I, I did them a couple of weeks ago, and he did this new material bit about uh, she sells seashells by the seashore, and it was like of all the places to sell seashells <laughs> by the seashore is probably the worst because you're, you're, you're really spoiled for choice. And, and it's just like, wow, what an amazing observation. And I love that. I think it's incredible. And I do, I don't want to put you on the spot and I don't want to make you uncomfortable or interview you, but what, like, I am interested, what sort of things would you potentially feel more comfortable or maybe even less comfortable talking about as a woman? Because I find that really interesting. Well, so, for example, one of the things that I was writing with uh, my husband, which might have been a recipe for a disaster, but luckily it wasn't, with my husband and his friend and my friend. And so there were two two um, women and two men. And one of the things that I wanted to put in was about um, my experiences at the doctor. I'm, I'm being careful with my language here because we, we've got a mixed audience. But anyway, my experiences at the doctor. And sort of there's, there's a phrase when you go as a lady and have your, your bits looked at and they sort of go, oh, I'm terribly sorry, I've made you bleed. And I always sort of wanted to go, oh, don't worry, but I'm going to make you bleed and that kind of thing. And, and just, you know, work up a routine around, around that. And my husband was was quite uncomfortable with that. 
uh, and sort of said, oh, I don't, I, I think, and he was saying, look, I think the fellas in the audience or, or the, the non, um, I, I'm not going to even say those words, but anyway, the, the people, the, the people that don't have that equipment, let's say, um, yeah. are not going to be careful, not going to be, um, interested or comfortable with that routine. So it's that kind of thing. And it's sort of pitching it and it's, and it's such a personal thing. And you think if I walk out and say this on a stage and it's just quiet, you know, I'm going to feel awful. However, as I said to you before, I think the gigs where it goes wrong, we, we did, I went to a, car crash of a gig where we it was in a pub and I mean you know when you say you died on stage there were no survivors that night everybody died on stage and there were some good acts um but actually I learned so much that night because up till then I've kind of stood by the microphone and delivered the material and been quite static and and stiff and that night it just freed me because I realized I could have said anything they didn't really give a, a monkeys and I just walked up and down on stage and that was when I actually got my a bit more stage presence, if you like. I could wow. move, you know? So I think it's the ones where it goes wrong that you learn. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely, I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, and I think that's when you really start to earn your stripes is that, you know, sort of, it can be amazing, but it can also be really difficult as well. Yeah. And, and actually one of the inspirations for the show and the reason of writing about dogs is because I, I do a lot of, festival comedy so leicester comedy festival brian fest edinburgh fringe etc and my first solo show was about how i had anorexia as a teenager and my second solo show was about how i'd uh had to have a circumcision when i was the age of 26 and since then i've done shows about depression and happiness and toxic masculinity and the whole point of this show was like you know i kind of thought well enough of the fluffy (laughs) subjects let's do something with a bit of depth you know And, and, and one of my (laughs) problems is that i i take things too seriously i'm not like you know people expect comics to be laugh a minute but you know better than anyone else spend more than five minutes in a green room and you're like reaching for the sertraline so yeah it is one of those things that i and and i i thought you know like oh maybe a a show about dogs would be lighthearted, but it actually kind of really showed me that you you can't change in the same way that a dog can't change its nature and who it is You, you know a Dalmatian can't change its spots. You are just essentially baked in. And if if that's the sort of thing that you do, that's the sort of person you are. But it's amazing how you can get a wrong impression of yourself. Mm. Yeah. Like that. Yes. Yeah. You you think you're one thing and, and everybody else is seeing something else. But I guess yeah. and I guess actually comedy can be quite therapeutic in, in some ways, in that oh, so much. you know, if you're brave enough to do it, it it, it really can help you. I, well, I mean, like, with, without going off topic too much, but we, we just, like, won a grant in order to use comedy in order to help people recover from mental health problems. So I'm working alongside King's College London, University of Manchester, University of Bristol, University of Nottingham, University of Kent in order to do a couple of uh, pilot studies that we've done. And, um, it, you know, it, it's really exciting because it was funded by the British Academy and, like, genuinely without, you know, sort of... Um, breaking confidence like one of the participants said this genuinely saved my life uh, which was like really incredible and also one of the participants was uh was trans which is like obviously a really hot button issue but to hear this person talk about their experience as a trans person and and kind of acknowledge the elephant in the room it was amazing and and i think there is so much catharsis in that 
And and I think that uh, that that's kind of essentially like th- this show is trying to be a bit clever in the writing of trying to use dogs as essentially a metaphor for all of the things that we should do better as humans. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess, you know, dogs have a lot to teach us about being human, really. Yes. I honestly think that. And, you know, one of the things I love about dogs is... You never have to walk in and go, are you pleased to see me? Because you jolly well know. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And if, I think if we greeted our partners and our children, our parents, whatever, in that way and left them in no doubt that we were pleased to see them or conversely that we weren't pleased to see them, I think life yeah. might be a bit easier, you know? <laughs> I, I think emotional expression would be so much easier if we had a tail. Oh, like yes. I just think they're the most versatile thing in the tail up. Very good tail down. Oh, something's wrong. Yes. And I like... <laughs> I think that'd be great. And also fur. I mean, I think I'd even like Michael Gove if he was covered in fur. So it's kind of like, I think dogs have so much winning for them. Like that expression, the ears, the fur. I, I, think, I genuinely think they are so much more emotionally expressive than a lot of people that I know very well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure they can make me like uh, Gove, but, you know, <laughs> there's a limit. There's a limit. <laughs> Big question it, you know? <laughs> Oh dear, that's a, that's a brilliant idea. That's a, what? How? How? <laughs> I like that. Which politicians? How? How? How far will the dog factor stretch? Which politicians no, I... would you like if they were furry? <laughs> well, the, the reason that I say Michael Gove mm-hmm. is because when our wonderful little sausage dog, when she was like four weeks old, you know, like obviously dogs that don't have that much hair, they haven't yeah. opened their eyes, their cheeks are a bit puffy. Genuinely, we've got a photo of her, and it does look like a, an adult Michael. <laughs> go that's what she <laughs> looks like i was like but we get michael like yes. imagine grows up and goes to a nightclub in, oh. in inverness to sort of do that viral dancing. Oh, that's no. weird. <laughs> you know but then there, there are like other like um I mean, of course, being the Midlands connection, the wonderful Dennis Skinner. Now, yes. I can see him being a dog through and through. Like, he's a pub dog, you know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. Like, great. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I like this. It's been so much fun to talk to you. Tell us, if anybody is lucky enough to be at the Edinburgh Fringe, where can they find the show? Oh, bless you. Well, if anyone is in Edinburgh, um, I'm at City Cafe from the 4th to the 28th all throughout the run. And I am going to be there at 8 p.m. till 9 p.m. And it's absolutely free because uh, you get what you pay for. And it's basically based <laughs> on donations at the end of the show. But equally, if anyone does... Um, if anyone does go to the Fringe, I, I think it's really important to say just, just go and see any show because I think it's really hard for performers and anyone in the, the arts and, and generally at the moment. So go see stuff and, of course, like and subscribe to this lovely podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I was just going to say, yes, go along and, and, and watch. And, and I was going to say, be kind, don't heckle. What, what's your position on hecklers? Do you like them or do you not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a question. I, I think- most most hecklers are like dogs barking like i think like it, you know so if you can catch it and, and actually there's this kind of misnomer that most heckles honestly 99 out of 100 heckles are actually genuinely really helpful they're mm. meant to like in, enrich you know because this is the thing most people you obviously get the odds uh you know exception that proves the rule but most people go along to comedy in order 
to enjoy themselves. So they will normally sort of like shout out in order to enhance that experience. So I, I've been very lucky. I think I think like one of the worst heckles I ever heard is like Bill Bailey once said that he was doing uh, the Camden Docks, a really difficult club, and he was just dying on his hole and he was meant to be opening and someone, uh, he was playing and no one was laughing and someone just like beckoned with their finger for him to like bend over and were like, come here come in and bent down and they went just go home mate. <laughs> and that is the most that is the most like killing heckle i think i've oh, ever heard because most of them are just enjoying the fun and trying to add to the experience so yeah i think that people are generally good natured. yes yeah oh I, I, i'll tell you when i was practicing for my first show I got my daughter, who was, I think, about 14 at the time, to practice heckling me because I'd not had a heckle and I wanted to practice. And she was brutal. It was a mistake because I'd got this one line where I was going, have you, it was a setup for a joke. And I was going, have you ever, have ever felt complete despair and desperation? And I had to leave a, a pause then. And my daughter shouted, yes, watching you do comedy. And I was like, oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks, oh, Jen. God, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's oh, <laughs> I mean, it's like I do I do kids shows as well. And I yeah. think one of the I ever saw at the kids show was like there was a, you know, they can be famously tough and whatnot. And there was one kid that just put his hands up during the gig and the, the, the guy that was like having a bit of a tough time on stage was like, Yeah, sorry, you can just hand up there. We take your questions, what's the problem? And the kid just went really politely, went. Are you going to start being funny soon? Oh no! Oh, burn! Wow! <laughs> and of course, it gave me like from a place because it's so polite, and you can't say to a kid, "Wait until I get you home." You know, it's so <laughs> funny. But your your daughter, I think, takes the, yes. takes the trophy on that one. Yeah, she was the worst heckle I've ever had. <laughs> but they, in fact, I can remember the first heckle I actually had in the wild, if you will. Um, I didn't actually hear it. It was in a pub, and I didn't hear. It and I went. Stop Stop, stop, stop. What did you say? That's my first heckle. Say it again. I didn't hear. <laughs> then, wow. you know, yeah, came back to it. So, But I think it keeps you on the ball, really. You know, if, if they do, as you say, often they're trying to join in and, it's, and it can be fun. And it can, it's a skill you've got to develop. And, and it, it keeps you, as I say, on your toes and, and thinking quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and some, some of them, like some of the actual hackers can be like absolutely brilliant. Like I remember once I was doing a late night gig at Edinburgh and it started, the show started at, um, uh, one in the morning. Uh, and it was called, um, I, I won't swear, but poop of the fringe, should we call it? It was about. <laughs> It was about good comics talking about bad reviews to prove they could be funny and sell their shows. But obviously there's like there were two stag dudes in, everyone was really drunk. It was a Saturday night. <laughs> and I remember this guy was like dying on stage in front of like the 80 like uh, boozed up people that were there. And he said to me, because like, I've been comparing, he went to me like Dave at the back of the Dave, how long have I got left? Uh, and I went, like, uh, probably about 10 and he went what seconds and then in unison the audience went nine eight oh, no. seven and I was like Man, what a moment for that to just naturally happen it was brilliant oh well I I wish you the best of luck at the fringe I hope you have a brilliant fringe and it's it's a wonderful experience in the atmosphere in Edinburgh at that time is just wonderful best of luck and I mean dogs open a lot of doors so I think I think you're going to do well 
path. Well, thank you very much. And if anyone is interested in that charity that I talked about, uh, mm. Rad, uh, Rad Charity, they're based in Leicester. And uh, you can go to their website, rad.co.uk, for more information on any recovery assistance dogs or any of the training they do. I wish I was in Edinburgh for this fringe, but I shall definitely catch Dave Chawner's stand-up as soon as I can. And hopefully, one day, I can meet his dog. You can find links to Dave Chawner's underdog show, as well as his website and the Rad charity he mentioned. Good luck, Dave, and thanks for making me laugh. If you'd like to tell your story about how dogs have helped or inspired you, I'd love to hear it. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Here's four facts, but one is in fact a fiction. Can you spot the lie among the truth? 1. Terrier derives from the Latin and French ter, which means to go to ground. 2. Poodle is a corruption of the German word pudel, which means splashes in water. 3. Basset means to draw. 4. Corgi means dwarf dog. Answer at the end of the podcast. On now to a topic which, funnily enough, we touched on in the interview with Dave. Why we like the breeds we do. What's your favourite dog breed? Why do you like that breed so much? Is it just their appearance or is it their character and temperament? That's the crux of the matter. Will the dog we happen to like the look of really fit with our lifestyle? And will our lifestyle make them happy and meet their needs? It's a subject close to Elizabeth Menegan's heart, so much so that she's brought out an app to help match people with their ideal breed. So Hands to Paws is a free download that's available on Apple Play and Google. And what it does is it matches the right pure breed of dog with the right human, is what I like to call it. So it matches, the algorithm matches you with a breed based on a profile that you create, which is made up of specific questions. It's so, I mean, you've outlined it there. It sounds so simple, but it's so important. Anybody who's listened before will will know I've banged on about this. It's such an important thing that as humans, we fall in love with the look of a dog. And we all know what kind of dog we look at and go, oh, I like that dog. Um, but that dog may not suit our lifestyle. So, for example, I love short-haired, athletic-looking dogs. I'm, as I said, <laughs> I've got long hair, and I'm I'm the, not athletic, shall we say? <laughs> um, but that's the kind of dog I like. Now, when I had Buddy in 2003, that was great. We matched each other's needs. Now, I wouldn't do that again. I could not have another short-haired, big, you know, a dog that needed a lot of. Of, well, well, of exercise, basically. I know you can meet the needs through the physical, through the mental side, but I wouldn't choose that the same choice now. So that's really important, isn't it? That as humans, we go by the look of the dog. That can take us down the wrong road, can't it? Yes. Also trendy dogs. So the look of a dog or a dog that's trending, uh, it doesn't necessarily fit your lifestyle. Now, your mindset is someone who's a responsible dog owner. So your approach isn't the norm. The norm is what is in, what are people buying, and that's what I want to buy. And I think the mistake people make, and we've done a lot of postings on social media, specifically Instagram, dogs are not accessories. Yes. They're not handbags. They're not 
the newest pair of sneakers. They're a commitment for 12 to 15 years. And if somebody is shallow enough to say, well, I don't care what it is. I just want the dog that, you know, a famous person has, that's not responsible dog ownership. Mm -hmm. And you are the prime owner for puppy mills, pet stores, and backyard breeders, which is a whole other discussion we can get into. But you have to, if you care about an animal, you have to get a dog that suits your lifestyle. And you do a disservice to getting a pet. If you got a pet now because it was the in pet to get, yeah. you're doing a disservice for the animal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your lifestyle. And when an animal fits what your expectations are, it's amazing. Yes. You're looking at a dog trainer. You're not upset because your dog has, you know, has separation anxiety and ate the furniture when you left for two hours. You don't have those issues. And that's mm-hmm. another thing people don't think about. Yeah. So it's all about getting the right breed for your lifestyle, your yeah. expectations. Did you get a chance to go on the app? Did you download it? And get I haven't. I've had a look at the website. I haven't downloaded it yet. <laughs> I'd be too tempted. I might end up with a dog. <laughs> what you're going to end up with, because people will say, I never even heard of a, a Pumi or a, you know, a, a Scottish deer hound, which most people are an Azawak. You know, people don't know what that is. So, and that's another the app is to get people introduced to breeds they never heard of. Yeah. Because beautiful, beautiful breeds. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's really interesting because we we have breeds. I don't, I don't, I'm not aware whether you have this situation in America, but in, in the UK, we have native breeds that are vulnerable. That as you say, you know, people are buying um the more trendy, newer breeds, and we have older breeds usually older, that are vulnerable. They're, they're sort of going extinct. So if we can reintroduce people to those breeds and you know educate them about what those breeds are like, we could save those breeds, couldn't we? Sure. And it's, and it's because I'm not quite sure if we're as impatient and trendy here in America, but it, we've always, you know, coming from living in New York City, there's always been a trendy dog. Yeah. There's Trendy dog in this country, if a movie has been made with yeah. a dog, if a celebrity is toting around a, a cute, adorable little dog, everybody wants that. And what happens is it feeds a market. So right now, the in-dog, going back a few years, the in-dogs were um, an Italian greyhound, like my dog, hmm. uh, a Jack Russell. Imagine a Jack Russell in a Manhattan apartment, yeah. which is a complete nightmare. Yeah. Then they there was the Puggle, which people don't understand started out as a puppy mill backyard breeder dog. It's a beagle and a pug. It's not a breed. Yeah. And now it's the miniature Australian Shepherd and anything with a doodle in it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that trend is happening where you are, but here it's all about French bulls, anything with a doodle in it, and a miniature Australian shepherd. Not the dogs for a city. Those are not dogs. First of all, they're not dogs other than the French bull. They're commercialized puppy mill backyard breeder dogs. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, that's the sad thing, isn't it? That breeders are well, no, they're not breeders. They're greeders, aren't they? They want the money. Um, yeah, people who who cash in on on that. You know, it's trendy. I've got to breed as many as I can now and get them out there and get the money. And it's just it's it's frightening because you know breeding dogs. If you breed well, first of all, if you breed properly, there's not a lot of money in it. But it, there's it's there's so much consideration from, from way before you actually make the dogs and get them. The puppies are on the way. You've got to find the right match for that dog, and then well, sorry, well, you know you've got all the vets care of, of the bitch. You've got once the puppies are there, it's so time consuming. I mean, not just I'm going to watch that. For example, you know the bitch doesn't lie on the on the puppies, but then. There's things like which, which again you pick up as you go along. I, I'm still learning about the process of of how much time and and effort goes into raising puppies properly and things like. Oh sure. Yeah, I mean, I I only recently sort of thought, thought about. Well, no, no, a, a behaviourist alerted me to the fact that sort of a good breeder will start getting those puppies used to being on their own. So we're laying the foundation to avoid separation anxiety. So a good breeder will sort of take those puppies off three at a time, two at a time, one at a time gradually and get that puppy used to the fact that you can be on your own, you can be safe. So that by the time you get the puppy, you know, that that foundation is laid that you then carry on, you don't have separation anxiety. That's mind-blowing. Well, what they do is, um, so we can talk about, I think before we go forward, we can go back and talk about the history. So in this country, um, I know in Europe, breeding dogs was a sign of wealth. Mm. Only the wealthy people bred dogs. It was like a, it was like a hobby. So, you know, aristocratic people had, had dogs. In this country, before World War II, Dogs didn't have as much meaning because there were problems in this country. There wasn't a lot of food. People didn't have any money. You had the depression. So what had value was horses, sheep, chickens. They had value. Hmm. So now let's talk about after World War II. So after World War II, there was a boom with the birth of babies marriage. People were buying homes. There was an at-home housewife and a mom. So they started to get a pet. And having a pet was sort of like a picket fence, a dog, kids. It kind of rounded out the um, image of life in America. Yeah. What happened then is the out West, the farmers saw a need for puppies because to buy a puppy, you would either go to a little pet store, a little local pet store or a breeder who showed pets would put an ad in the newspaper and you'd go to their house and you'd see the mother and the father and you'd pick out a puppy. That's how it actually was done up until the sixties. In this country, the sixties became this, wait a minute, I can take 15 dogs and breed them and sell them. So the puppy mills actually started in this country in the farming areas. Wow. That could be Kansas. That could be Pennsylvania, anywhere in the Central America where they had the room and they would, you know, empty the chicken coops and go, wait a minute, we can breed dogs here. Yeah. As we got greedier, 
the market was changing. And that has changed in the last, I'm going to say 15 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. There was a, a multi-poo and a cockapoo, but there was never a market for hybrid dogs. It was pure breeds. So if you went into a pet store, you would see all purebred dogs, all from puppy mills, but they were purebred dogs. Now with social media and um, they've casted this wide net of look at my beautiful French bull that was uh, blended with a chihuahua. Look how cute it is. It looks like a fuzzy teddy bear. So the want and the need has increased because of social media, because of celebrities glorifying dogs that are that are not real breeds. Yeah. And and that's fueling the uh, backyard breeders and the pet stores and online. So online, you may look like a kennel and I can and I can sort of explain to you the difference. But um, I, I think your breeding standards are higher than our breeding standards. Hmm. Because I think the USDA in this country does not do welfare checks on puppy mills. So you can be a puppy mill registered with the USDA, but nobody, nobody's checking. Yeah, yeah. So there is no accountability. Yeah. There's your ability in this country. And I think what people fail to realize is you can get a beautiful show dog from a breeder of show dogs. They breed for show, mm-hmm. which means the standards, they, their breeding is almost like a science, yeah. right? Or they'll meet with another breeder of the same dog and say, oh my God, your dog's a winner. My dog's a big show winner. Let's have a litter. You can have the pick of the litter. And they, I mean, they're, they, they want the perfect Westminster winner. It's like you're, you have the Crufts. Yes. Yeah. So people want that winner. Yeah. So people don't realize that breeders who breed for show would die before they would mix their bloodlines with other dogs. They don't do it. Yeah. So that right there lets you know that you're getting a breed of dog from a responsible breeder. And let me just add this, the app, the key to the app, which I keep forgetting because I'm all focused on matching. When you're matched with a dog, when you click on the image of that dog, it brings you directly to the Breed Association website. The Breed Association website is separate from the American Kennel Club. The Breed Association is the place that you don't want to screw up. You have bylaws you have to agree to. If you're caught selling to a pet store, selling online, they kick you out and they basically blackball you. Wow. And these people you don't want to fool around with because you're going to see them at dog shows. You're going to see them. And the last thing you want to do is upset them. So anybody who, who downloads our app and decides to get a puppy, once they meet, once they go on that website, it's got all the information about the breed. It's got dog shows, breeders, available litters. It's it's where you go to get a puppy. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's fantastic. The stronger the breed curve is, and, and I love that that they have standards and they they stick to them and and throw people out if they don't. That is wonderful because that's what you want. You want to buy if you're going to buy a dog, you want to buy it from someone who loves that dog as much as you're going to. And that's the trick when you find a breeder that sort of grills you and asks you questions and says, "How are you going to provide for this puppy? My baby, I'm going to give you." That's what I want from a breeder. I want a breeder who you know, wants to be my friend and, and keep contact with me and be there for the dog. But I want one initially that treats me with a little bit of scepticism and wants to know, wants to ask me a few questions and interview me a bit and sort of, do I come up to their standards? That's what I want. You know, my, my outlook is, do you come up to my standards? But I want them to be looking at me with the same eyes and saying, do you meet my high standards for my puppies? Sure. And that's what's happening in this country. So if you wanted to go get a standard poodle, it's very difficult because they want to make sure that you're not going to take this dog and go breed it and go make a ton of money selling, you know, labradoodles and golden doodles. And another thing was separation anxiety um, with puppies. Puppy mills, backyard breeders, separate them at eight weeks old. That's three to four. A puppy really technically shouldn't be separated from the mother until they're 12 weeks old. Yeah. So they're three months that they separate them too early because they want to get them shipped. They get them to a store and they want to get them sold. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's what's interesting about the app is when you really start to talk about it, it covers a myriad of things yeah. uh, in this country. 60%, 60% of owner surrenders to shelters and rescue groups are wrong breed and medical issues that have come up because the dog is from a pet store or a backyard breeder. Mm -hmm. So if 60% of owners surrenders to shelters are the wrong breed of dog and medical issues, think about the impact. If even 10% of those people downloaded an app, got the right dog that matches their lifestyle and from the right person. Yeah, it's almost mind blowing that you beg people to say, no, 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 you know, don't do that. Don't buy that dog. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost, it's almost unimaginable. And I think taking on this app, you know, I'm one person, I'm one person that saw a need because I was frustrated at watching people wrangling dogs that have no business living in an apartment mm-hmm. or no business buying a hybrid dog because I know where it originated from. And I think at the moment, I remember coming into my apartment after seeing three miniature Australian shepherds by the time I parked my car to get to my apartment. And I, and this was on a Wednesday. And I said, why are people buying these dogs? Why isn't there something that's helping people? And, and that's actually how it all started. Mm, yeah. I'm so frustrated. I'm not in the dog world. I'm not a tech person. I'm not an app person. I just felt there was a need that no one addressed. Yeah. So, and then, and then you, then I found what was frustrating is people who were buying these dogs don't want to admit they get very defensive. I never on our, on our uh, Instagram, we never pet shame. Yeah. We don't do that. Uh, My advice to people is if you bought a a pet store pet or an ad in the newspaper, you better get pet insurance. 
because you're going to end up with medical issues that you can't afford. And you're going to end up turning that dog over to a rescue group because you don't have $8,000 to fix a heart condition. Yeah. And that all comes from poor breeding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the thing when we, you know, I talk a lot about the right way to buy or adopt. And we'll, I really want to come on to that about the, the adopting side of it. But when, the, when we talk about the, you know, the right way to get a dog, yes, I know. I realize it can sound snobby and boring. And I, I get that. I get that. But what we're talking about is choices, decisions that will affect lives, your life, your kids' lives, you know, your, your partner's life and that dog's life. And then the people who are going to have to look after the pick up the pieces and look after that dog and maybe adopt that dog, you know. So there's a knock-on effect. Those decisions are really, really important. And it may sound snobby and boring. It's not. It just comes from a place of love, doesn't it? That we want these dogs, all of them, to have the best life possible. And that comes from a lot of thought going into the breeding of them and, and the buying or adopting of them, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's and it's not that difficult. If you ask the average person, where do you where do you get a puppy from? They would say, I don't know, a pet store online. Mm. That's what people. Those are the top two answers. Only people who have owned a purebred dog um, or understand how that works would say, oh, from a breeder. But the initial response is, I don't know, a pet store. Uh, uh, online and and again online is what has fueled the hybrid dog now a hybrid dog everyone says oh every dog is hybrid okay but there's a difference between natural selection and natural breeding from you know 400 years ago i'm sure an italian greyhound doesn't look like it does now but there's a difference between natural breeding and purpose commercialized breeding So any dog that isn't recognized by the American Kennel Club, it's the same. Crufts is almost like the American Kennel Club. If it isn't a breed recognized and recognized means the origin, the standard of the breed. People don't realize French bulls come in black and tan. That is it. They're not merle and brindle and all these colors. Those colors were created. If you had a merle French bull, you can't show it. Yeah. That's a show dog. So it means it doesn't meet the breed standard. It's bred to be sold. Yeah. Yeah. My my dog, she came from a show, uh, a breeder of show dogs. Hmm. It was too small to be shown. So the breeder said, perfect house pet. When I bought her, I saw the mother, the father, the siblings. And also the breeder said, you must sign this. You must agree to this. This needs to be fixed. You cannot show it and you can never under any circumstances, give this dog away. This must come back to me. So when someone says that to you, you know, right then and there, you're dealing with the right person. Yeah, absolutely. Because people say, oh, well, you know, breeders aren't responsible. Well, no, that's your narrative. Mm. That's not true. And people, for some reason, can't form their own opinions. They jump on the narrative of everyone else. Adopt, don't shop is a huge moniker in this country. It's wrong. 
because adopt, don't shop means anyone who buys a dog is part of the problem. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm a responsible person who bought a puppy who couldn't be shown. In this country, we should have changed that to adopt, don't shop pet stores, puppy mills, backyard breeders, because I've had people be confrontational with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm a responsible buyer. You know, don't shop has nothing to do with me. So when people think because you have a purebred dog, either, you know, you're snobby or uh, why buy a purebred dog when there are so many in a shelter? Well, let me ask you, where do you think these shelter dogs are coming from? And if people would only take a few minutes on a free app to get the right dog that you know if anything happens, you can call the breeder. It's, it, as we've said in the beginning, I, I, it's just, it seems so simple. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but, but there's a, there's a, it's a complex decision. Um, I mean, adopt, don't, don't shop. Yeah, I, I have. I've I've had people say when we had uh, when we got mischief um, one person in particular sort of is she a rescue no okay we bought her oh and I and uh, yeah. Im- Im- immediately a tirade you know everybody's got to make their own decision we have had a rescue dog um, but if if we if we stopped buying from reputable breeders I don't mean the breeders as you say that churn out you know the, the dog for the love of the money if yeah. we don't buy from the good breeders then those lovely dogs, and they're all lovely dogs, but those, you know, those dogs bred with a lot of thought without the suffering, hopefully without the medical condition, with the good temperaments and all that, those will disappear. I don't yes. want that. I want those good breeders to, to succeed. Sure. But people, you know, again, we live in a, we live in an age of the internet, social media, you know, get what you want when you want it. The other thing people don't realize with hybrid dogs is you're taking each dog has not only its own innate ability to do something, but it also has its own medical conditions. Yeah. So now you're taking a dog, breeding it with another dog that maybe has its own innate medical conditions. Now, breeders of show dogs breed for quality, they tried to breed out a lot of the issues. Irish wolfhounds are a good example. A lot of the breeders who breed for show have been able to get them to live a year or two longer because of good breeding. Um, The bigger the dog, the shorter the lifespan. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, The Bernese mountain dog has a very short life. Yes. They've now bred it with a, with a, a doodle, a poodle, to extend its life. So, you know, Italian greyhounds can have, they have genetically, they have tooth problems, they can break a leg, and they can also get um, epilepsy. So now if you take an Italian greyhound and mix it with a pug, (laughs) you now have a dog that could be brachial cephalic, which means a flat face, with breathing issues, tooth issues, yeah. It may break a leg. So you're, you know, you're combining yes. all of the medical issues and, and there's, it's reckless breeding. Yeah. Right. So a backyard breeder breeds as many dogs and let's mix these two together. 
It's you're now creating, you're passing on issues. Epilepsy, if you have a, 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 a puppy with epilepsy, those two dogs should never, ever be bred again, the parents, yeah. because they pass it on. Yeah. So if you're just in the business of breeding and breeding and breeding, you're passing along epilepsy, which in an Italian greyhound could be a death sentence if yeah. it's that bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess we have a big movement over here about the, the health tests, the health tests that you can do as a breeder, you should do. And again, that's why that's part of what you're getting from the breed. That's part of why it isn't a big money spinner, you know, because if you do it properly. It's very expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so necessary. Yeah. It's very necessary. And that's why you, my, my, a friend of mine wanted to get uh, a, a dog, but an older dog yeah. for her daughter. And I said, go on the um, Golden Retriever Association of America. Find a beautiful show dog that is now retired. You can get a beautiful dog that's five years old or six yeah. years. So you can get beautiful dogs that don't meet a breed standard again i can only use my dog as a reference my italian greyhound was too small she didn't meet the breed standard yeah. she couldn't know so the breeder says oh it's a perfect house pet yeah, yeah. perfect house pet. yeah you see i mean yeah i know exactly what you mean our, our mischief is a, a german spitzkline and she's too small for the for the breed standard um mm-hmm. now i have to say when we went to to buy her um, the breeder sort of said she, there were three puppies and she said, yeah, she's going to be small. And she was quite open with it. She said, yeah, she's going to be small. Um, the other two are going to be sort of uh, show size They're there, you know, but we could choose to be fair. She, she said, you can choose whichever puppy you want. It ended up that, that Jenny chose the, um, that's my daughter chose the, the chose mischief, the smallest one. And she's gone on to show the other two, but yeah, it didn't matter to us that she was a little bit small. Didn't matter at all. Equally, interestingly, I, I was just talking to someone who's adopted a papillon. And mm-hmm. she adopted from from a breeder actually because the the dog came up as too big for mm-hmm. this breed standard. He's gone on to do fantastically because he's apart from being too big, he's brilliant. Um, and he's gone gone on to do fantastically in the show ring. You never can tell. But these dogs aren't substandard in any way. You know, it's just they don't meet that very. You know, in some in some terms, quite um. Pres- prescriptive and narrow breed standard another thing i wanted to come to about the the um the behavioral side you know the the, the surrenders to um rest- to shelter, rest- yeah to shelters yeah the, i mean there's no such thing as a bad dog well, no there's a tiny tiny percentage i imagine that have genuine problems that can't be overcome but you know these these challenging should we say pets who their behavior doesn't fit them well to be a pet sometimes those can make the best working dogs i've known dogs that have been surrendered and driven the owner mad they go on to become an assistance dog and they flourish so again doesn't that bring home to you exactly what you're saying the right dog in the right home perfect it's perfect and and you do a disservice it's not fair to be listen if someone is going to be selfish enough to say i don't care I want the, the, the biggest, I want the in-dog for my kids. Well, then you have the disposable income to spend $8,000 on a dog. What kind of medical issues are going to come up in the future? And if you don't care about that, you can't talk to a true believer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You can't, if someone says, I don't care, I just, this is what my kid wants. You can't uh, address 
someone like that and you can't change their mind. To me, a true dog lover, right? A dog lover isn't the same as a dog owner. If you love an animal, you do what's right for an animal. You get an animal that works in your lifestyle. I love a miniature bull terrier. Love that breed. They have so much personality, but they are strong physically and they are mentally strong-willed. And boy, you need to manage them Mm. like managing a child. That's too much work for me. I have a little dog that sleeps with me, that goes in a carrier, that flies on a plane. But I love that breed, but I'm not going to get that breed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be fair. Plus, I live in an apartment. That wouldn't be fair. That dog needs energy. So if someone wants to buy what they want, they're not going to use the app. They're going to go online and they're going to type in Golden Doodle and 250,000 web pages are going to pop up and they're going to end up with a backyard breeder, puppy mill, pet Mm -hmm. store dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Owning a dog can be very selfish. If you're, as I was saying, if you're an animal lover, you really care about the breed. You get the right breed. You give it the medical care it needs. You never buy a dog for your children because parents always end up taking care of it. (laughs) So it should be a family decision when you get a dog. Does everyone want this dog? You never buy a dog for your kids because kids say, oh, sure, I'll walk it. And the first rainy day, they're not walking the dog. Yeah. Dogs become a part of your life. You take them on vacation. You photograph them. They're in holiday photos. They're family. Yeah. Oh, bless. The app uh, connects people with with, with rescue, um, with charities, doesn't it, it as well? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I made a decision to not only do we recommend, the first question is, are you looking for a pure breed or an available rescue? I wanted to fold in rescue only because I knew that there would be too much pressure of people focusing on there's so many dogs in shelters. Why get a pure breed? So I took that whole conversation out. There's a, there are two resources that most of the animal rescue groups use. Hmm. And what it is the algorithm that works for the pure breed works for the rescue. So if you're looking for an under 20 pound non-shedding dog within a 200 mile radius, that will pop up. So the algorithm works in the same manner. You know, not everybody wants a pit bull or a German shepherd, but maybe there's a senior Yorkshire terrier that that's for adoption. So the same questions that are asked uh, for pure breed is applied to um, to rescues. Yeah, so excellent. excellent. To be diplomatic, we included that, and there are beautiful purebred dogs yeah. that are in rescues and shelters. Yeah, absolutely. And and there are breed specific rescues. Well, I, I, there are in the UK. There are breed specific rescues. How you've told me how you make sure that the breeders are um, ethical and you know a breeder that you would want to to support. How do you make sure that the rescue is is ethical and and of the kind that we would want to support? It's impossible. Hmm. It's very hard because there are over 15,000 animal rescues in the United States. 
So, and that's, that's the pure breed rescues. Those are shelters. Um, it's hard to police all of them. If they're listing on pet finder and the biggest, they all use the biggest resource out there. We pull from that resource. Um, it's always, you know, you go there, you know, you, you never, but first of all, um, rescue groups will not sell you a dog online as far as close the deal. You have to go there. So yes, you may see a dog, but you have to fill out an application. Yeah. You have to do what's called a meet and greet. So you've got to physically go there. They meet with you. Some of them do home inspections. So they, if they're really responsible and the ones that I know, that's what they do. They'll go and say, oh no, we go to your home. <laughs> we, want, we want to see where you live. Yeah. So they really put more effort into a pet store. That's for sure. Or, oh, yes. or yeah. someone's selling a dog online. They don't yeah. come and see where you live. So, yeah. it, you know, there's, listen, it, no matter how hard you try, there always can be someone who isn't honest, yeah. but what we try to do is narrow down your chances of having a bad experience and a poor, poorly bred dog. Yeah. And that that's the goal. And also to introduce a breed to you that you mm-hmm. may not have heard about. Yeah. yeah. When you can get a barbet, a barbet is a beautiful dog. Yeah. No one's people don't even know what that is. No, no. I so, so it, I think it's, there's always somebody bad, but we try your chances, at least if you get a, a dog from a, a breeder who breeds show dogs, you know, when the breeder says this comes back to me, you call her up and say, I found out the dog has a kidney problem. What do we do? Yeah. yeah. You'll get further than calling a pet store. Oh, and they gosh, say, yes. Yeah. Your guarantee's over. Sorry. No, I mean, that's the thing. When you, when you do get a dog from a breeder, you, from, from a breeder, not a greeder, a breeder, you make a new friend, don't you? You brought someone sure. else. It's not just the dog that you've brought into your life. You've brought the breeder into your life. We're, we're still very much in touch with, um, with Mischief's breeder. Um, and I would class her as a friend, you know, and, and she, she wants to know how Mischief's doing. We want to keep, and it's great to sort of t- send her a photo and say, look what she's doing now. Look, you know, it's, it's great. It is a new friend, isn't it? They're like, stop sending me Christmas pictures. I've enough. I've got 15 on my wall from you every year. One, yes. especially if you're a new pet owner. Yeah. You know, the 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 app can appeal to everyone, whether you're a first-time owner, maybe you've had a pet that you pet that passed away 10 years ago and you want a new pet, but you don't know what to get. It's it's anyone, whether you're a current owner. Or a past owner, if you, you know, listen, we bought a pet from a pet store, you know, 20 years ago, my mom had a miniature pincher, adorable. She was the sweetest dog, but she was riddled with skin problems due to poor breeding. But she was a doll, sweetest dog in the world. Well, but my parents had the money to address that. They had the money to go to a specialist. They had the money to to do testing. What other people do is they drop it off at the shelter and they say, you know what? We're moving to Alaska. And we can't bring the dog. Mm-hmm. People turn up a lot of dogs to shelters and they're not honest. 
It's only when the shelter vets the dog and they go, oh, wait a minute, the dog has a kidney problem. Now we need to raise money to fix it. So a lot of people do that. They find out something's wrong with the pet. They can't afford it and they bring it to a shelter and it now becomes their problem. See how the app, you think something so innocuous can address so many situations that have this whole blowback effect. Yeah, yeah. Get the right dog and everybody's happy. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You're feeding something. Puppy mills will never go away. Mm. But you can lessen puppy mills yeah. by buying from the right people. Yeah, definitely. It's, this, I mean, it's a, we need to take many approaches to the, the puppy mill um, issue. But one of the most important, I believe, is informing people and that you know it's a busy world and it's a busy life and we all get hectic and who can know everything about everything but the more you put the information out there the more chance there is that people will see it and you know and like you say we've all done the wrong thing in the past to you know to various degrees but you can only do the right thing when when you know when you've learned when you're told what it is can't you so it's um, but and the other thing is people can download this app free can't they yeah so it's a free download Um, it's, I have to find out, you know, the goal is to have it expand. The goal is to have it, um, in the UK. And in order to do that, we would just pull, we would get tuned into every breed, um, recognized by Crufts. And then the algorithm would pull that information and then anyone can utilize the app in the UK yeah, and excellent. find breeders locally. That's actually a conversation. And it's funny because the, the gentleman who, who designed my app, when I was looking for someone, because, you know, when you say you have an app for an, uh, an idea for an app, like people come out of the woodwork, <laughs> um, having a successful app is very difficult. It's because everyone's got an app for something. So when I reached out, I had five people get back to me and only one said, before I talk to you, we need to sign a Mm non-disclosure. He only said that. And it's funny because his name is Andrew Wright and he's actually in Florida, but he's from the UK. Uh And I started out by talking about Scotch eggs and salad cream because my (laughs) great, my grandmother uh, my great grandmother was from Manchester. So we started talking about, you know, my grandmother flying on BOAC airways. And he's like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard that in, you know, a million years. Yeah. So, you know, it was nice. I had a connection with someone that kept saying, every time I talk to you, we're hearing these horror stories. He had no idea yeah. what went on in the dog world. Yeah. Yeah. He, he didn't, he didn't get it. No, no. I and he just, Gosh, Elizabeth, every time we talk to you, it's it's another learning experience because the average person doesn't get it. Yeah. I'd like to be able to have the app available in the UK. And basically you go on, you um, answer the questions, which seem very rudimentary, but it's it's it saves you from getting the wrong dog. Yeah. And um, then it matches you. So it'd be matching with people locally. So that's yeah. in the works. There's also something in the works and it's free. Yeah. You can't beat that. It's free. 
Excellent, excellent. I mean, there's, there's so many more things you you could incorporate. I was thinking about sort of you could incorporate behaviorists, and and I mean that's a minefield because the you know well certainly in the UK the accreditation of, of behaviorists is you know that that's a minefield that you can are you going to the right one the wrong one whatever. But if you got in touch with things like the APDT and you know the the people who do things in the kind way and in the right way. Um, that's a whole other other field of people can be connected with a, a good behaviorist local to them that again you're doing so much good for the dog brilliant isn't sure. it? well it's a bill billions of dollars a year people spend on on pets you know it's a puppy is a universal language every yeah. you walk down the street with a puppy and everyone's going to look at you and everyone's going to smile and say oh my gosh how cute that is so you would think that people knowing that would really say, oh, my gosh, you know, it really is an issue. But until, um, how can I say this, until a large nonprofit in this country took a public stand against puppy mills, things would change, but they won't because they collect fees for people to register dogs. And I'm going to leave it at that. But that's an issue. And people follow that lead if this entity said absolutely not but in new york pretty soon it's going to be illegal to sell dogs in in cats and pet stores that bill was yeah so on a local level you can go to a representative um and say hey look you know this is wrong until bills are passed to really protect animals um there's always going to be a puppy mill. You can't eradicate it. And, you know, it's so interesting to me. When you think about a dog, can you imagine being blind and walking through the streets of London with a dog? Mm. We use dogs to see. We use dogs for hospice. We use dogs to smell bombs, drugs, mm. people that are lost. But we don't. we can't give them the decency. And the protection, I think, is a crime. I, I, I think it's unbelievable and very selfish in this country mm. uh, to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and not and not say, well, wait a second, this isn't right. I, I think it's it's mind blowing to me. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It is. I mean, you're right. You're right. the the where it goes wrong everywhere in the dog world, maybe in the world, but certainly in the dog world, where it goes wrong is where the love of money outweighs the love of the dog. And whatever the situation, whatever animal, whatever business you're in, where the love of money outweighs the love of the dream, the the dog, whatever, that's where it goes wrong, isn't it? And I think your app is going to help a lot of people and a lot of dogs find the right person and dog to be with, isn't it? Yeah. And, and it's funny because in the beginning, my frustration was out of for the dog. I'm thinking this poor dog, he's in the wrong, he's with the wrong human. <laughs> yeah. You know, dating, it's like, it's like having a dating site. You want to get, you know, not everyone gets along. So, you know, having the um, ability to speak to people like you that have an, an audience that just say, look, you know, this is almost like a public service announcement. Right. It's not like it's it's fueled by money, you know, pay twenty nine ninety nine and find out the right bit. No, it's free just because 
my goal is to partner either with a corporation, a large company, is to partner with them. But I'm only one person taking mm-hmm. on millions of people and millions of people that have a, an issue with talking about pets. I've realized they say you never talk about religion or politics. You need to add dogs to that list. <laughs> Once you talk about, I think I'd get a dog. People start screaming at you to go, you know, you get shame that you should go and adopt a dog. Yeah. Where Think about where those come from. So, And heaven, heaven forbid you shouldn't raw feed them. That's another one. <laughs> Look, well, I don't know. I, my first dog was a Yorkshire Terrier. Yeah. We gave him everything we ate. He lived to be 14. My parents had a toy poodle who lived to be 17. Wow. Uh, I had a cat that lived to be almost 18. Wow. I don't, but it's the right animal for the right person. And I yeah. think that that's the hardest message because then you offend people that already bought a Labradoodle. Oh, well, no, my dog's not from a, it's from a breeder in Pennsylvania. No, it's from a puppy mill. You think it's, but it's not. How do you have that conversation in, you know, in your lift going to your apartment? Yeah. And then the person wants to kill you the next time they sit <laughs> in the lobby, right? Yeah. If someone said, oh my God, I had no idea. I saw this dog. I thought it was great for my kids. Hypoallergenic is a oh, big. That's a real red flag to me. <laughs> I hate that. There is no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog. Full stop. The end. Mic drop, you know? No such thing. There's a difference between fur and hair. And there's also a difference with saliva. You can be allergic to an animal's saliva. They'll lick your hand and all of a sudden you'll get what looks like little hives. Yeah. But if people say hyperallergenic, that's the, that's the buzzword. Yeah. Yeah. People say, oh, well, they're allergy free. They're oh. even a hairless dog. Yeah. You can be allergic to. Yeah. Because the dander and the oil in on the skin. Yeah. So I agree with you. If someone says hyperallergenic, it's, it is highly overused. Mm. And if your biggest concern is allergies, then you need to think about the size of the dog, the shedding. One of the questions is shedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is important. It's an important issue, isn't it? Because, there's, I mean, there's lots of issues like, for example, our Labrador shed hair everywhere. It was black hair. It was, it was um, much easier to live with black hair, I found, than cream hair. But he okay. shed a lot. Equally, then, we had a Bichon Freeze who didn't shed. I mean, maybe one or two hairs, but she didn't. Generally, she didn't shed. Um, sure. But then we had to keep having her groomed. And, right. you know, so, but you choose, you, you know, you choose the rod for your own back, don't you? That, so, but as long as you know what you're doing. That's right. Well, the questions, which we actually didn't talk about. No, so the, go on. Well, tell me about the questions. <laughs> the questions are very simple. It basically covers um, purebred or rescue. So let's say we're looking for a rescue. It'll ask you the size of the dog under 20 pounds, you know, 20 to 50, 50 to 70, you know, the size of the dog shedding, barking. If you're living in an apartment, barking is a huge issue because you'll be getting letters and removed from your apartment. Um, Energy level, mental stimulation, like a corgi, 
or um, an Australian shepherd. They need that mental stimulation. Yeah. Energy level. I am perfectly happy as your, your, your listeners can't see, but my dog is sitting on my lap. Yes. This is it. This is what I like. So it's an, an energy question. Yeah. Drooling, drooling is a huge thing. People don't realize um, any of the larger dogs, the mastiffs, the um, what's another one is a big drooler, the mastiff. Bassets? The, the, the basset hound drool all over. Mm. People don't realize that. So when you're, so when your uh, Neapolitan Mastiff is drinking water, you have to go grab a washcloth and run over and wipe his face. If you don't mind that, then, then you'll get a dog that's, that, you know, drools. Also, some breeds of dogs aren't good with other dogs. Um, some breeds are not good with small children. So one of the questions is, are there children under the age of four? Do you have other pets? Do you have a dog? Akitas have a tendency to only be a sole pet. Um, there are very few. So it seems very basic. It kind of is. Because it's covering what's it, what do you not want? Yeah. I don't want a large, shedding, barking dog that's going to run around all over my place. Yeah. Needs are different in an apartment than when you have a backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, energy level. If I want to run a marathon and I want to bring a dog with me, I'm not going to bring my basset hound or my pug. Yeah. Any working dog, energy dog, is what you're going to take with you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This is why I love English pointers. Pointers. Um, I could. Beautiful. I could Oh, they're gorgeous. I love them. And they're so just the little face and the, they're so aristocratic looking. I love them. I couldn't have one because I could not meet those energy needs, but I, I adore them from afar. I, they're not right for me. Yeah. yeah. And that's a hard thing for people to say. Yes. This breed is right for me or I'm buying this, this dog because my kids want it. Mm. Um, 101 Dalmatians was catastrophic in this country. Yeah. And here. Yeah. Yeah. Hot, very difficult dogs, hyper dogs, and also a lot of them are deaf. Yes. Yeah. So you don't know that. You see this adorable puppy, you go and buy it, and the next thing you know, you need to give it away at eight months old, and now your kids are upset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's anything that, that glamorizes a specific breed sends the true breeders into you know, uh, uh, into reverse yeah, yeah, because they just say, oh gosh, here we go. The, um, one of the Kardashians, I think it was Kylie, Kylie Jenner mm. had an Italian greyhound. Mm. And I thought, yeah. here we go. This breed isn't for everyone. And thank God it wasn't really, it didn't take off at that moment. Yeah. But when, Walking my dog, young girls will say, "Oh, that's the dog Kylie Jenner has," and I'm thinking, "Oh my god!" Yeah, yeah, it can be a disaster for a breed, can't it? It is a disaster. Mm. Anything that glamorizes a, a, a breed can be disastrous for the breed. Yeah, yeah, because absolutely. Unfortunately, we're selfish, and people want what they want, and there are people that are cruel. 
and they'll breed and sell them and they'll sell them knowing that they're probably going to have medical issues. Yeah. So I, I think that it just, just the pure education and people like yourself who take an interest and say, wow, this is really, this is really interesting. Yeah. Any gone um, and spoken about it, people would say, ah, oh, that's a brilliant idea. That's a great idea. The breeders love it. I bet. But it, you know, it's getting the the message out there. It's getting the celebrity who doesn't say pay me, who says, wow, I believe in this. I'm an animal lover. Um, that's the hard thing, too, that yeah. I've had to around. Yeah, yeah. Well, the best of luck. Where can people find out more about Hands to Paws online? So they can go to handstopaws.com. And there's a there's a website and it'll bring you to the app there. Um, also, I believe we've had a couple of press releases done, but really just going to the website. Yeah. Then um, we're going to have listings of, of podcasts, but we'll call them podcast. <laughs> I do. Very good. Uh, but they'll be, that's where people can research and they can also reach myself there. Um, and we love to hear from anybody, anyone who's an animal lover or wants to share an animal story. Um, we do giveaway. We have an Instagram, which is hands underscore to pause. We're not really big on Facebook. Instagram is really starting to pick up. We'll do a giveaway. If someone downloads the app, they have a chance to win a, a dog uh, first aid kit or we try to do. We do a lot of postings about just animal wellness. We did something for the heat. Yeah, uh, we did a posting this morning about chocolate, why chocolate is bad for dogs. So it's all it's it, the theme is information. Yeah, the app is free. It's information. That's that's basically it. But yeah. I'm that one person um, can make a difference. And you know what's the best thing? I'm over 50. It's nice. Just because you're over 50, you can you can come up with an app. You don't need to be in your 20s. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm over 50 as well. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> life isn't over. And I'm actually over 55. So yeah. life over at 55 but talk to me in two years when I'm 60 <laughs> <laughs> okay I'll put it in the calendar <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk again yeah it's I'm- not up with something that actually is going to it that is working but yeah. I want to, to go beyond working I wanted yeah. to to be able to corner a market and make an impact on introducing new breeds and and getting people away from puppy mills that's the end goal Getting people to not buy from puppy mills is a great goal. We have the links on the Dogcast Radio site at dogcastradio.com to take you to the Hands to Paws website and to their Instagram too. Good luck to Elizabeth. If you have any advice or experience on how you make sure you're buying from a good breeder or adopting from a good rescue, get in touch and share it with us all. The answer to that fact or fiction teaser was that number three was the lie. Bassett does not mean to draw. In fact, the name Bassett comes from the French word bas, meaning low. That's it from a very hot Dogcast Radio studio as the UK is gripped in a very intense heatwave. I hope wherever you are, you and your dogs are keeping cool and happy. 
What steps do you take to keep your dog comfy in summer? Hopefully by next time things will have cooled off a bit. So until then, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 441-281-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What kind of dog sniffs out flowers? A budhound. <laughs>